Today we have FHF gear on the show. Information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. We have Paul and Rick from FHF Gear. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Yeah, good. Well, good, guys. I, I uh, you know, I guess a little bit of backstory of how this kind of relationship started. I was putting together a great big binocular harness head-to-head test, and I reached out to FHF Gear, and obviously they sent one. And that was my first introduction to not only working with FHF Gear, uh, but also using your guys' stuff. And I really, really enjoyed your bino harness. Um, there was a lot of aspects that, that – really just fit the style of hunting that I do. And um, so I thought it would be awesome to have you guys on the show, uh, kind of tell a little bit about, you know, obviously your guys' backgrounds. And uh, then I, then I want to definitely talk more about FHF gear and kind of how it got started and, and then some of your products and maybe some some upcoming ones that you guys have in, in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rick, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I think uh, you should go first, you just because it all started with you. So, okay, um, yeah, uh, my name is Paul Lewis. I'm the founder of FHF. Um, I started putting gear together back in 2008, just kind of as a hobby and a way to. Honestly, I was uh, working in law enforcement full time and didn't have a pile of money, so I thought I could put a few things together cheaper than buying it. So that's what got me started. And then, you know, started making stuff for other people. Um, did 20 years in law enforcement and then started doing uh, the, uh, you know, this full time. And, you know, one thing's led to another. We hired Rick as our first employee. My wife and I were running the business and Rick came on as our first employee back in, what was it, 19 or 20, Rick? Uh, fall of 2018, actually. 2018, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was right right as I was getting ready to retire, I believe. Yeah. You retired in September and I started working in November. So. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And then, uh, you know, things have progressed from there and, um, you know, started making that bino harness you mentioned. She's probably, we figured it out a few times. And I always forget probably 2010 ish. Um, yeah, it's been a popular product of kind of our, main product for years and um you know tease out early i guess we have created a whole new one that you know led sort of to this conversation after watching that review that you did and um here we are awesome and Um, rick what about yourself (laughs) yeah um so i lifelong hunter um came from a forestry background worked for years in the woods uh also military experience and um just started to actually came to be a customer of fhf gear uh ran a ran a bunch of different vinyl harnesses and then eventually landed on the pro m and uh just loved it and i was shooting a lot of photos so it's kind of we got linked up paul and i uh with photo work uh my buddy and, and and i started shooting photos for fhf gear um and kind of built that relationship from there. And then eventually, yeah, in fall of 2018, I kind of reached out to Paul and Jen, his wife, and they were running the business and just said, you know, do you have any room for work or an employee or anything? And then just timing is right. So I, they hired me in that fall and just started jumping in wherever I could shipping. Cause we, at that time we fulfilled all the orders packed and shipped them ourselves. And, you know, I did photo work obviously for the brand and, and kind of just helped in any capacity so that, and now I'm just, yeah, I've been here since 2018 and now I'm product line manager for FHF gear. So I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, that, that's definitely sounds like, uh, <clears throat> like, uh, like an interesting journey one, but two, like it was, it was a, it was a, you know, one of those times, Hey, I have a great idea. I think we should do this. And now what, you know, cause it's, it's 
like we kind of alluded to at the very beginning of the call before I started recording, it's it's not as simple as, well, here's my idea. It's made a week later and people are buying it a week after that. Um, not, not when it comes to obviously the type of stuff you guys are making, you know, online mm-hmm. products or whatever else. It's a different story. But what you guys are making, um, it's. It's just, there's a lot more that goes into it than meets the eye. So, so one thing that comes to my mind is what was it that made you guys decide to start with a bino harness and then kind of, you know, make that kind of your flagship product? Well, um, to be honest, the bino harness came a little bit later. I was doing custom work and, you know, I'd made a lot of bear spray holsters. I was doing some hand warmers for military and SWAT teams. Those were kind of the bread and butter product early on. And then, you know, I did all sorts of custom stuff, mostly on the tactical side. And then, you know, I had hunting buddies that would reach out, you know, wanting specific pouches for this or that. And then one of the custom orders actually came from uh, a guy who's our current developer, Phil. And he, you know, he's working for another outdoor company at the time. And, Phil Larson. Yep. Uh, Phil Larson. Yep. Yeah, you know Phil. Yeah, I do. And, I like Phil. <laughs> um, so he he had had a bad experience with uh, um, a harness he was wearing and had a large, like a zipper-style magnet on it that slapped shut on him and made a big noise and um, asked me to make him one that didn't have a magnet. And used, you know, something more low tech bungee or something. And we went through a lot of iterations on, on that one. You know, he and I back and forth and, you know, with his roommate at the time, uh, actually Steve Drake, he's a photographer now, uh, was a photographer then, but the, we did a lot of iterations back and forth and then, um, kind of settled on, you know, that early design of our vinyl harness and, and then, we took that first kind of finished prototype to one of Randy Newberg's like launch parties for like season two of his early show. And, uh, you know, just locally at a bar here in Bozeman and, and came away from that launch party with, I think an order for like, or 24 different orders for bino harnesses. Holy and moly. Only like, only like, uh, and there wasn't even 50 people there, but half of them wanted one. So, um, we, Phil and I sat here, sat there that next weekend and cut out and sewed, you know, 24 bino harnesses and got those out to people. I think I charged, I, I guarantee I lost money on that deal. Um, you know, I think I charged like 50 bucks or something for each one. Um, took us two days working 14 hour days, just trying to get those done. He was cutting, I was sewing. And, you know, from there it just kind of built out to rangefinder pouches and different add-ons that you could add to it. And um, it really kind of, being in Bozeman, I, I always say I was just kind of lucky where I was at the time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, got hooked up with Jason Matzinger and, um, you know, we all knew each other prior anyway, but, you know, he, he didn't want to wear a bino harness because it didn't have the Vortex logo on it. <laughs> um, and it was one of, one of his main sponsors. So he asked me if I could sew a Vortex logo on his, so I did. And then, you know, that got Vortex involved and they wanted more of them because they started getting emails. And then Steve Ranella, who's also sponsored by Vortex, you know, wanted one with their logo on it. And, um, you know, you get vinyl harnesses on those people. You know, I had them on Randy, Jason, and Steve pretty early on. And yeah. Kind, kind of all by lucky accident and you know which led to you know vortex sending me a stack of hats because they didn't have patches made so i cut apart oh my god gosh sewed them on vinyl harnesses um and then that went to you know like some of their pro staff and then um yeah and then we did a couple runs for them where you know actually once i got them into production they would put patches on them at production. Um, yeah. And then, you know, they end up going a different direction, but, um, you know, ours were all still all us made still are all us made. 
and so you know they cost a little bit more um but yeah it's just it's kind of been what is front and center on everybody so that's kind of always been our flagship product gotcha so when when it came time to you know you obviously had the design you'd made a, a couple prototypes and we're using those and then sending them out to people when it came time to scale it and obviously no longer have you guys being the ones that's making it um how did how did you go about finding the the correct company to do that um and what what was that whole pro what what was that process did they have minimums that you have to meet and things like that like what what did that whole process look like um so early on i was still doing custom work in fact probably the first 500 bino harnesses out there i literally made myself um you know at my sewing machine one at a time and i was taking custom orders you could i mean get one in air force tiger stripe or you know whatever color you wanted <laughs> that's um, that cool. i could get fabric for yeah and there's still a lot i occasionally see a picture have one come into the shop that you know i made back then and <clears throat> i've been making bear spray holsters i was the a lot of my being mystery ranches here in Bozeman, a lot of my hunting buddies and I at the time had a mystery ranch and they, you know, we were all using crew cabs to hunt with and they had the Molly attachment on the side. And so bear sprays were actually my most popular product, bear spray holsters with Molly attachment because there wasn't one available huh. yet. And, um, but so I started making these Molly attachable bear spray holsters and they got so popular, I couldn't keep up with all the other stuff. So I was actually at SHOT Show. And, you know, I had always run this business in a way that I reinvested every cent that came back in into the company. And so I never actually went into debt, you know, trying to build stuff. I just sell as much as I could and order as much as I could. And so, yeah, minimums were a huge concern to me because I had called a few companies, you know, and they wanted, you know, a thousand piece order minimum. Um, and I ended up at shot show and bumped into a guy who was doing OEM sewing. And he, he said he would do an order of like 50 for me to start with. And so as a broke cop living in Bozeman, I was like, man, I, I didn't want to pay that much money at all. You know, I think I, my first order was, I was under 500 bucks probably with them. And I was concerned I would never sell all these 50 by or 50 bear spray holsters and was just going to end up sitting on them in a box somewhere. Yeah. But they sold out, sold out pretty quick and had to reorder and it just every order kind of bumped it up. So by the time I'd started making a bino harness and was ready, realized it was becoming popular enough for me to, to have a mass produced. I already had this company that I had been working with. Okay. And, um, so I stayed with that company and, you know, they were able to do smaller orders. They did it mostly military orders and tactical stuff because um, those were the materials I was using and the techniques I was using. And kind of, you know, as products became popular, because I was still doing the custom order thing, um, as products, I realized I was like remaking the same product over and over and over again. Those are the ones that would send to production. Okay. And they were good because they would work with me on, you know, I was pretty not tech savvy or anything. I, you know, I'd have patterns drawn out on cardstock and sew samples up. Um, and I'd send that to them and they'd digitize them and put them into production and scale, scale that. I gotcha. <clears throat> yeah. And that makes total sense. You know, you get something that's ordered, you know, once every other week and then you get something that's ordered a hundred times a week might as yeah. well obviously send, send the one that's being ordered a bunch off. Um, when it comes time for that and you, you know, you're having another company um, fulfill those and make them, what kind of, how, how do you ensure that like the quality when somebody else is sewing it? Cause obviously when your guys showed up, it, it's great quality. Um, and not saying that other companies aren't, but I mean, that's just kind of a general company question for any company that has somebody else do sewing or, or make any other products. Yep. It's like, how do you ensure the quality? That's honestly been one of our biggest challenges we've had. Um, we've gone through ups and downs with, you know, even that company I was using got purchased and switched to a different owner. 
depending on who their production manager is, you know, you'll have a, a at the time we would have a, you know, a box of gear show up and they, that weren't exactly like the last batch. And they would tell me, Oh, we ran out of that material. So we switched. Um, <laughs> You're like, Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Yeah. Those are big red flags. Don't use those companies. Um, That's fair. We've, we've moved away from not using that company anymore, but we did have a couple batches show up where, you know, we weren't real happy with them. Um, but again, at the time, like Rick said, we, we were still fulfilling all of our orders one by one. So, you know, the, the boxes would show up at my house and literally, you know, everyone that went in a box, I got to put my hands on. And, you know, create. Yeah. I, go ahead. Rick. No, I was say that that's one thing I was going to bring up that adds complexity down the road that Paul will explain is like back then, if we did have any kind of snafus or anything, it, it we were putting our hands on products you could see and, and work with the company before product went to the customer. Now there's a different complexity. We use a 3PL, you know, that third-party shipping facility. So we really have to be on top of working with the sewing facilities to ensure that it is the top quality because we're not, you know, seeing every product go out the door anymore. It's it's being shipped by someone else so so that's just it's interesting that question zach just that's a huge um huge part of our job is just making sure that all the quality and samples and and, and that goes into that big process and timeline of back and forth making sure everything is going to be the highest quality end product to the customer yeah for sure and i and i could imagine you know something that even goes alongside that is being you obviously you hit a point when you're growing and you're getting so big, you have to start handing and delegating things off. Um, but as you guys know better than I do, sometimes that's very difficult because you're thinking to yourself, well, Hey, a, I've built this B I truly care about the company and the product and, and how it looks and how it turns out. And C I care what people are going to think and say and how well our gear performs for them. And then, as you know, all of a sudden you have somebody you've never met working on products that are going to customers and you're kind of like, at least in my mind, I think I would just, okay, just deep breath. You know, it's going to be all right. They're making good stuff, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It definitely can be a leap of faith. We have you know, we do a pretty good job of getting top samples in from the factory before they go into full production. You know, we do previous pre-production samples prior to that. And oftentimes back and forth a few times, you know, dialing stuff in, you know, because, you know, maybe their factory uses a little different seam allowance than I use, or they, you know, some of the stuff I make, I'm not a, I don't, I don't know, maybe a musician would say, I'm not classic in any of this, you know, I, I make stuff as I feel like it should be made. And, you know, every now and then, well, quite often they'll tell me, you know, this would be easier if we did it this way, um, which sometimes makes a good change and makes it more economical. Um, other times I'm like, yeah, that's probably easier, but it doesn't function as well. Right. So, you know, we can go back and forth there and then get those samples in. And like you said, the it is kind of a leap of faith sending stuff directly from them to fulfillment you know you never get your hands on it. i used to go so far as when somebody would order you know a multi-cam vinyl harness with rangefinder i would make sure i picked two out that had a similar color pattern so that they didn't come out of you know i wanted i'm anal like that i want you know if i if i have a mostly green harness i want a mostly green um rangefinder to sit next to it so it looks good you know yeah yeah the elks are the elk, you know, you don't want the elk to think you look ugly. So, um, <laughs> um, you know, now, you know, dealing with these, the three PL, you know, it's definitely takes a load of work off of us, you know, so that we can focus on other things. But at the same time, you know, you have people putting stuff in a box that have no idea what that product is or how it's used or, you know, to the point where if somebody ordered, two of the wrong color i used to email them and you know two different colors and like did you really mean to do this because i you know or did you want them to match right right um now that just doesn't happen or if they pick out of the wrong bin you know they you know we've had 
strange stuff happened where like, I ordered a rangefinder pouch and I got a, you know, bear spray holster, obviously not the right order. So wrong, Ben. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. It's one of, it, it sucks just, losing that control, but it definitely frees up our time. Well, exactly. There, there's stuff. no way to, there's no way to scale and grow if, if, if you don't. Yeah, right. that's we couldn't handle the volume exactly. of products we're selling now. It's keeping it in house, so it's it's just one of those kind of necessary growing pains as a business um, you have to go through. Uh, w- one thing I just want to bring up, Zach, that Paul mentioned that's interesting. I feel like is that's another complexity to quality control, but design as well as you know, Paul, like you said, is not. Yeah, for his term, classically trained in sewing, and he has a technique, and and you know he's better at certain things than others. But trying to have a facility who has multiple sewers sew something very consistently also goes into design. You know, you can't you can't design something that's super complicated to sew because then on the on the back end, your customers might be getting products that are all looking you know, quality is not there, all looking different or something. So mm-hmm. not only in the quality control. It's fine trying to, you know, work with the facilities to have that consistency so the customers. So, like, when we say this pouch fits these dimensions of product, it's going to, when the, you know, the customer takes it out of a box and test fits something, it fits. And, and that's a huge challenge. And, and, and it's one of the things you got to work with good facilities. We, I, we might get into it, but, you know, our new vinyl harness, we've coming out as a four-way stretch front. And I know that... I mean, Paul will speak more to that, but that was months of tweaking and, and Paul, you know, actually had to fly to one of the facilities just to make sure. Cause it's depending on how much pressure you put with sewing, you get a little bit different results. So that's a huge thing. Yeah. yeah it, it, go ahead. I was just saying attention you put on that four way stretch as you sew it definitely makes a difference on the finished product. And, and like Rick said, it, that's one of the nice things about all, all us made is, you know, we can just, you know, if we're having an issue or a question, I just make a trip, you know, a short trip somewhere and actually sit down and work with them and show them how I do it and make sure they figure out how to work it consistently. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. So I'm I'm actually <clears throat> working on a little couple of my own products and they're obviously nothing, nothing even close to it as intense as a bino harness or the things that you guys make. But I noticed that because I'm I haven't sewn since I was uh, ten years old in 4H, yeah. right? So here I am getting all this fabric in, and and not obviously not a ton, but enough that I can send some off for people to test out. And then once it you know once it gets where it's where people are like, hey, this one's pretty close. I'm gonna have to find somebody to do it because my consistency is so far off. From what it, mm-hmm. you know, one bag comes out and it's, it looks great. And the other bag comes out and it's like not even a rectangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. hell was I doing? <laughs> but yeah, we definitely, uh, learning curve for me too. I, I learned, <laughs> I joke, I, I joke, but it's the truth is that, you know, I learned to sew in seventh grade home ec class. That's right. Where I learned how to sew. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was four age. So we're not far off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, obviously, you guys mentioned that quality control is <clears throat> is something that is that you guys are working on on a daily. What what would you say is another one of probably the most challenging hurdles you guys have had to overcome? Um, Rick, I'm sure you'll. Uh, uh, yeah, that. I was uh, trying to think on on the production end or, or design end. Uh, let's let's go that? with the production end because here uh, next topic I want to dive into designing and things like that. So, well. Paul, I'll probably have something else, but I know production, the first thing that pops in my head is, you know, we're using other sewing facilities, but we're also at the mercy recently in the past few years after the COVID uh, times, um, supply chains are a huge thing. You know, they, you're working with that facility, they're going to sew this product for you. A lot of times they're ordering the raw materials, but we have raw material shortages for, you know, what, zippers or different uh fabrics all that so so that's another kind of ball you have to juggle especially too it all links back into the design you have to think about all those things on the forefront because definitely that's an issue um a big hurdle in production is if you use a certain material or piece of hardware that's super hard to find or 
has you know issues, it all chokes up at production, which then yeah backs everything yeah. else up. So yeah, I'd, I'd echo that is that yeah materials and, and we do our best to source everything out of the U.S. So we're not seeing those you know weird supply chain issues there they were seeing you know with overseas stuff. Um, you know we have a few things that we have to order in that we can't get here, but the for the most part. I'd say, yeah, scheduling and, you know, the facilities we use are, you know, we're ordering big enough orders that we're usually near the front of the line, but especially if you're using a facility that's doing like military orders, those always get pushed ahead and you gotcha. Um, and as they should be. Um, yeah, I'd and, say that that's a huge thing for our facility specific. I agree with Paul. Is a lot of our facilities are sewing military contract stuff, and, and that kind of gets bumped ahead. Um, so they could, yeah. And, and like on the spinal harness we're launching that, you know, that we were hoping to launch it, you know, by Western Hunt Expo in February. And, you know, both kind of design tweaks on our end as well as supply chain issues and everything just, and, you know, they're, what I was going to say is they're, you know, sewing for other companies too. And, you know, they've got a schedule, they've got to meet. And so, you know, things can change. And, you know, if you're trying to launch a, a hunting product and they can't launch it until after hunting season, it makes it, makes it hard. Um, you know, sometimes you have to put it off an extra year just to wait. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the big big challenge. The other one I was going to say early on was more CS related customer service. Gotcha. Um, now that we've hired, hired people, you know, we used to spend all of our time just answering emails. Um, you know, we'd sit, my wife and I'd sit there in bed 11 o'clock at night and answer <laughs> customer emails. And, you know, Rick started taking that on and he got hired and then, um, did you immediately ask him how his sleep schedule was once you gave it to him? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he was losing as much sleep as we were, but um, he was definitely busy. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely not, but it was it was definitely overwhelming and busy. And, and uh, you know, most of your day, because we were fulfilling orders, was packing orders and answering customer phone calls, emails, and but there was lots of other stuff that had to get done, so it just really stacked up and can quickly get overwhelming. Right, yeah, it, and, it, and it just, like you say, it happens quick. It's not... It's not a slow progression. <laughs> if you're doing things, you know, if you're growing significantly, it's there's no slow progression about it. Right. And that's, yeah, that was one of the fun things starting this up is that I always had this idea that, you know, this was kind of a side gig, you know, as my main paycheck was coming from the sheriff's office. And, you know, I didn't advertise. I didn't want it to grow fast because I knew I didn't want to leave before I could start drawing a retirement and so I didn't advertise didn't you know didn't do anything to try and grow it it just kind of word of mouth made it grow and you know which is I guess looking back a good thing it you could have bad word of mouth too which wouldn't wouldn't be as uh, uh, successful but um, it uh, yeah definitely grew faster than I expected gotcha so kind of shifting over to design, uh, you know, design is design of gear is something that's always been very intriguing to me. So I'm kind of curious in, in the whole process, you know, um, one, you know, let, let's, <clears throat> let's kind of talk about the new harness that came out or, or better yet, let's not, let's talk about one of your old, older harnesses and, I mean, was it, was it literally at, at the, the drawing blocks? You're like, Hey, here's a couple aspects. We want this harness to have. Here's how we want it to ride on your body. Here's a couple other things. Okay. Now we need to figure out what type of material it is. Like walk me through the whole process that, that, that it takes to, to do that because <clears throat> Obviously, you're using a specific material for a certain reason. Obviously, there's, you know, the angle of the stitch is that way for a certain reason. Um, so I'm interested in kind of that entire process and how how you kind of derive and, and arrive at at, uh, at the end vinyl harness. Um, Did that make sense, I guess? Uh, there was a lot does, there. It does, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot. Um, that's I'm trying to decide how to distill it down into an hour-long 
<laughs> under an hour long podcast. Um, it's I'm probably sort of unique in that, you know, I've tried not to make specific pouches that just, you know, Hey, everyone makes one of these. Let's make one. Um, we do our best to come up with stuff that is unique and solves a problem that nobody else is solving yet. Um, and really kind of the design process for me kind of starts with, you know, especially when I first started, it was really out of necessity of me, my hunting partners, teammates, or, um, you know, it's like, man, I wish I had a way to do this or carry this, or this would be better if we could change something about it and make it function in a different way. And then, you know, just sitting down and doing sketches and coming up with measurements. And then, you know, for the most part, now I can kind of figure out materials I need on a, it's easier to find kind of weird materials. Whereas early on it was, you know, ordering from, you know, everything from eBay to, you know, Amazon and, you know, be like, well, this material is available. So that's what I'm going to use. Um, you know, I didn't have to have a thousand yard minimum, you know, to specifically have a one color milled somewhere, you know. Gotcha. Um, so early on, definitely it was sort of limited by what I could get my hands on. Okay. Um, and now it's a little bit better. <clears throat> you know, if we're going to do a big enough order. I can, you know, play with, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the right color to prototype out of, but when we're going to do the order, I can make sure and have something dyed, you know, the color we want. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's really about solving problems. And I've always designed in a way that is kind of puts function first. So I want it to be super functional. And I always joke that, you know, stuff may not look pretty, but it works. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'll, I'll worry about trying to dress it up later. Um, and Rick can attest to a lot of my early prototypes are ugly, but, um, you know, gets the point across and we kind of proof a concept for me usually is kind of starting with the design that, you know, I won't add in all the pockets or zippers or webbing or pull tabs or whatever. I'll just kind of get a basic shape, build something up, make sure that's the shape I want, the function I want, you know, it sits right. Um, ergonomics work. And then, you know, from there, it's starting to kind of fine tune all those little pieces. And, and oftentimes, sewing up you know because i'll usually end up sewing whatever i'm making you know i'll make one for everybody in the shop here and say hey go try this and see if it works what would you change what do you like what do you not like and then rick will also attest that you know the first five there's not one of them that's the same because as i sew it i'm like oh this would be cool if i could be easy to add a loop here or a pocket there you know, we need to change the shape of this to make it easier to sew. And so those first five are always, you know, five or ten. Or, or yeah, it's or, a very quick evolution of changes by input and kind of roundtable discussions and, and all that. I got gotcha. you. And then, yeah, and from there, it's, you know, often we, we're doing better about, we used to have a relatively quick turnaround. We're doing better about getting a little more time under our belt, a little more testing, make sure we test it in season and, and, uh, you know, before we actually place a purchase order at production. Um, but even before that, you know, I don't know how far you want me to go in that process. of. No, yeah, that's great. You're, you're doing that great. That's, I, I find it, um, you know, like for example, the harness, um, your guys' harness, <clears throat> it almost had like a, and and I'm probably going to butcher the material, but it almost had like a, a almost like a leather on the inside, mm-hmm. and yeah. and none of the other harnesses had that. I'm not saying that's bad or good for the other harnesses. However, um, in my mind, I automatically notice the difference, and I go, "Hmm, I wonder what made them put that in there." Well, it's not <laughs> as an exciting story as you think it is. Um, the- <laughs> The, uh, we actually use a, a microfiber on the inside most, most of the time. And then during COVID, all of the microfiber was sold out and either the mills sold it to make masks or they just quit making it to make whatever they were using to make masks and we couldn't get it. So 
we found that kind of a suede leather kind of, it's actually an upholstery fabric that was close to what we wanted still quiet and you know had the right function for us so it was three times the price um but we could source it you know from a supply company in the u.s and we could get it so that's what we switched to and so um yeah we we went through probably a year and a half maybe two years of production using that material um to be honest we were concerned about it when we first got it because it had that rough texture we were worried it wouldn't be as smooth of a draw we were worried it might absorb a little more water um but to be honest most of the feedback we got was kind of like you where they're like oh it kind of gives it almost a high-end feel um and nobody ever complained about extra water absorption or anything like that um, i mean i stood in the shower for a while <laughs> yeah um yeah i've watched that video it uh, was a good test for sure <laughs> oh um, thanks i don't know i was just trying to yeah, actually test no, it you know yeah yep. zach your your bino harness review is uh we've obviously over the years submitted a lot of um especially our pro m vinyl harness to a lot of reviews but definitely enjoyed your take on uh the jumping the bouncing the bending over like as far as tight to your chest because it's all stuff that we've told our customers you know our harness excels at um but but a lot of other kind of vinyl harness reviews don't touch on that stuff but i think it's all very critical and, and like you stay hanging in the shower and, and how much water is actually getting in um so yeah though that was a great uh take on the, the points of reviewing a harness. Awesome. I'm glad you guys, I'm glad you guys appreciated it. Uh, it was, you know, we talked about it on the phone a while back, but literally my goal was to test it. Like I would actually be using it. And when I hunt, I crawl and I run and I jump off logs and, and I'm doing all that stuff. So the last thing that I want is my harness not being secure or my harness letting water in or whatever else, you know, it's, doesn't do me any good to stand at a table and talk about a product <laughs> yeah we see we see a lot of reviews that do that so it's a very obvious watching your review that you put a lot of extra work into it that many reviewers are not doing so well thanks um, we appreciate we appreciated it because it, it showed you know you look at them on the shelf and, and i'll go back to my my uh, earliest earlier statement where mine my designs don't always look pretty which you know, things sitting on a shelf look pretty um, or can look the things that look pretty are going to sell better, probably. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Good um, thing I'm not standing yeah. on a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Um, but, yeah, having you actually put the work in and, and see how it functions in the field uh, makes you realize that, you know, it's meant to be minimal and low profile and ride high and tight and gives you the protection you need without going crazy overboard if, if you're wanting to keep that as a minimal harness right yeah uh so this kind of leads me into you know talking about all your designs and everything like that <clears throat> how much weight do you put on the design of a new product in customer feedback a, a lot um, i'd say yeah but, i mean i don't know maybe paul would disagree but i feel like it's majority of it is always comes from a need or, or a look like a niche that we want to fill but there we do really take customer feedback into account that does not mean then if someone emails in with an idea that we're gonna you know bake that into a product but but definitely if if you know there's the squeaky uh what wheel gets the grease like if a lot of customers are saying something we we look evaluate or yeah and and we are, do our best i mean living where we live, we have a big group of people that we can bounce ideas off of. And, you know, sometimes we try and keep stuff close to the chest. Um, but once we get a design out there, we're small enough still that we can pivot. You know, if, if we start getting feedback, like Rick said, you know, that you get one guy that emails in and, you know, says, well, this doesn't do this. You know, like oh, that's one guy who is doing something that nobody else does. Um, it's, it's like the emails we often get, you know what you should do. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we would sell three of those things. Um, but when you start getting a, 
uh, you know, and our CS guys keep in touch with us. I mean, obviously they're in the same building, but keep in touch with us very closely and say, hey, you know, there's a trend that people really love this or they they would prefer if this did something different, then we're small enough we can pivot that stuff typically. And so the next run we take it into account and try and build that in and, and then update things as we go. And that's why, you know, over the years you'll notice some of our products will change slightly or, you know, sometimes people don't even notice, but definitely, you know, for instance, our phone pouches, you know, over the years we've gone up and down in sizes as, as cell phones have changed from, you know, uh, small phones up to tablets that people carried around back down <laughs> to normal size phones. So uh, um, things evolve and, and I'd say they're constantly evolving. Rick's got a list going of things we need to, update currently and it's it's finding the time to get back to them between all of the new stuff we're working on yeah yeah for sure well wait go ahead oh no i was just gonna say paul kind of touched on it but that that is another interesting thing that you know customers call in with an idea and they i'm not saying it's not a good idea but the other thing with design we always gotta look at if you know if we make a couple thousand of these units and put all this time into the design, we have to try to make it fit the use for the most people out there. Um, of course. And I, I feel like that's, for me, that's been a big issue. I mean, it's, it's awesome to make a very custom piece of gear that fits exactly your situation or your need, but, um, which it's kind of like a fun game, but trying to make something that fits the, the majority of people and their use and it will sell well is like another a layer of that process or things you got to think of with, with the design. Right. I mean, that's just like if somebody decides they like anchovies on a pizza and they're like, Hey, every pizza should have anchovies, you know, exactly. (laughs) Same idea. Um, and then much like you said, uh, aside from the pizza, it just takes a lot longer to make it than it does make a pizza. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, you know, I get it too when when I start talking about, you know, and again, the things I'm making are much, much simpler than what you guys are making. But I'll talk to people and ask them like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And and some people will say, you, and you hear a lot of the same type of thing. And then you hear one way off the wall. And then you kind of internalize that. And you're like, I, if you think that would help you, I don't understand how you think that. But... <laughs> You are literally the only person out of the last 30 people I've talked to that said that. So I don't, I, I can't, I, you know, monetize that. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, one thing I learned early on is still have trouble because I want to make everybody happy, but I've realized that, you know what, I, I can't make everybody happy. I'm going to do my best to make things kind of as universal and modular as I can so that people can set stuff up how they want to. But, you know, there are some people who are adamant that, you know, it has to be this way. And I often send people to other companies like, you know what, this other company makes exactly what you're looking for, or at least closer to what you're looking for than I do. So if if you're that customer who really wants this, you know, go look at this one. They make good stuff. Um, you know, I've sent people to competitors, you know, that I feel like they're going to be happier with it anyway. And I'd rather them be happy with it than come back and say, oh, this isn't what I wanted and it doesn't work when in reality it doesn't work for them. Right. And I, and I noticed that cause I got a lot of feedback on, uh, you know, not a lot, but some of the feedback was like, well, it doesn't look like you have it tightened the right way mm-hmm. and error or this or that. And I'm like, I tightened it the way that I prefer a harness to fit me that at the end of the day, that's what every person should do, you know? And just because I have it, you know, and literally for, you know, the jogging and the, what I did is I took a deep breath and I tightened them down until it was snug, but didn't restrict my breathing. And that Mm -hmm. way they were all fairly close, you know, but I think that says a lot for you, Paul, you know, being, being willing to send people where they should or might be happy, but then also having the confidence and just being the type of person that is more worried about them and, and, and their, um, experience with the product than 
making the next sale. So I think that says a lot about you. And, and I've noticed that throughout FHF gear. So you've built that culture. I can tell because every time I talk to somebody, <clears throat> even Phil, he's a pain in the butt. No, <laughs> I've known <laughs> Phil for a while, but, um, yeah. you know, you, you can tell that that gets internalized through your company. Cause from talking to Rick and yourself and Phil or someone else on the phone, you guys are all sharing that same mentality. And that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely kind of the core of where we've always wanted to be is is definitely taking care of the customer and doing our best to, you know, make them happy as best we can. And if that means they're going to be happier elsewhere, then, you know, I'm okay sending that customer elsewhere because hopefully they see that as a positive and, you know, maybe they would like one of our other products and they'll come back for, for another reason. Right. Uh, so kind of the last thing I'd like to touch on before we wrap this up is, you know, I'm sure you guys have some new products coming out and you've mentioned the, the harness just a little bit. Um, so I'm curious if you can share a little bit about some of the new products and with the harness specifically, cause you've kind of alluded to a little bit about it. I'm curious what types of things came about or that you noticed in the industry happening that made you decide you need to make that specific harness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and Rick, feel free to jump in here, but I, I think we got, you know, going to shows, well, I'll back up and say, you know, we've been selling, you know, our pro-am harness, the one you tested for, for years and it's been a staple and it's been popular. And we, really started to see a lot of customers um, asking for an update or asking for something that, you know, opened a different direction. Um, You know, we started off specifically not wanting to use magnets because, you know, that was the original custom order and how, you know, we had built built that original harness around, you know, not having magnets. Um, And in in building this one, we just kind of saw – you know, the, the customers were asking for something different. So at this point, we're still going to sell both of them because there's still people who don't want the magnets. But um, we really, well, Rick, I'll let you explain kind of because he was went like, through. Yeah, so we just, I mean, Paul's definitely on the right track there. It's just Paul's been making and sewing the Pro-M since 2009. And just it's a tried and true bino harness. But we just saw slowly you know market trends shift our customer feedback hey we we know they were looking for something fully enclosed um because that was a concern with the pro-am and a lot of customers they were looking something front opening instead of that top opening design um and we also saw shifts in binoculars like sizes you know you turn back the clock 10 years uh, i would say well i mean the 42 millimeter objective was Almost every bino yeah, kind of it was, was like 10 King. by 42. It, yes. But now, like, 50 objectives are getting super popular, even 56 objectives um, on, on certain binos. So customers are starting to car- carry bigger, taller binos. A lot of that, too, is prism technology with glass. So just things have shifted in the average binos someone's carrying. And, and we saw with the Pro-M, some of the design, we're like, we, you know, we can upgrade not upgrade because it's still a great design, I should, uh, but just try to work on something that is different because that's, as Paul said, you know, he never wants to design anything that's, well, it's a carbon copy of what this other company over here makes. So we really broke down feedback, years of feedback from customers watching the market trends, and we really started this whole new, um, and I'll throw out then the FOB, uh, you know, for front opening bino harness, but also plays on the military acronym of Ford Operating Base. Um so we started off with what do we want to accomplish with the end goal? What are must have features? What are things we'd like to have in it? Um, and really broke down reviews of not only our pro-am, but every other bino harness we could see on the market. We just looked at customer reviews of that feedback and tried to see if there's any issues where we can help. Um, and, and then started on that. And, and that's how we landed on that new, you know, it's a, folding front it's a front opening harness has a folding lid so it really minimizes that movement from the open to close position which is a big thing for our whitetail customers bow hunting crowd um who doesn't want a lot of movement when they're in close uh as paul said 
the original Pro-Am was designed to not use magnets because of that noise. So we also wanted to have the quietest, you know, controlled lid with a magnet so it, you never get that audible pop and slap shut. So that's right. our thing with that lid, lid design. And then size, we wanted to kind of improvise on our customer service experience uh, sizing. So you, you, we, we actually only have two sizes of the new harness coming out instead of three and uh, increased modularity with Molly on the side and really uh, went into um, trying to make it breathe better. We put new air mesh on the rear that, that has a lot more airflow through it. And then the whole airframe shoulder harness is, is a new, you know, it's um squadron laminate with air mesh on the sides, but it also is skeletonized. So it lets a lot of airflow through. So when you're using it, it I think Paul would agree with me. We don't say you're going to sweat less, but at least as you're sweating, you're, it's uh, it's more drying. comfortable. Yeah, it was more comfortable. It's going to dry faster. You, awesome. Yeah, it will dry faster. So when you pop that harness off, you're not just saturated with sweat under. So you do get that quick dry. Um, but that's kind of a quick uh, version of how you know we just looked at market trends and what our customers were looking for, and, and thought how could we improve or, or bring something new or different to the design. So. Gotcha. I think that was a super interesting exercise and you know, going through, like Rick mentioned, I mean, literally Rick did all the work, but went through every competitor harness on the market. And there's, I think I actually looked recently, there's, I found like 26 major brands making harnesses now. There's, there's a lot uh, of vinyl harnesses anymore. Um, and, and it was very interesting to go through because you, you know, you'd find 10 reviews that hated this feature and then you'd find 10 reviews that loved that feature. And so, again, you can't make everybody happy, but it was very – people were very divided on what they liked and didn't like. And so we did our best to kind of go through and say, how can we compromise on – not compromise, that's the wrong word, but how can we accomplish making both of those people happy by either meeting in the middle or, um, you know, making it configurable in a way that, if someone likes this, they can do that. If they don't like that, they can do it a different way. Um, and so I think think that's what we've done uh, in this this harness. Well, awesome. Well, I, I am definitely looking forward to that coming out. When when do you guys think you'll be? You know, they'll be hitting out and getting into customers' hands. So our our uh, full launch day is actually April eighteenth. It's sneaking up here in the week, um, and. We've been kind of waiting. Like I said, it got delayed a little bit with materials, but now we're waiting for enough stuff to be ready to go at fulfillment so that we don't sell out day one. Um, yeah, maybe we still will. We'll see. But um, they'll be restocking. If we do sell out, um, they'll be restocking you know, weekly as, as we go. So um, still in production currently, and they'll be shipping shipping as they get them done. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing them come out, guys. I really am. And like I said, I, I really appreciated you guys trusting in in me and my review to and sending one uh, for the head-to-head harness test. And I appreciate you guys taking the time out today to hop on the hop on the podcast. And uh, I, I just appreciated it and enjoyed it. So thank you guys very much. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. Thank, yeah, thank you for the time and thanks for uh, yeah reaching out and having us be part of that head-to-head test like i said we're yeah yeah and we'll make sure you you get one of these new ones so that you can add it to the next one perfect